0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In December of 1965, a Charlie Brown Christmas first aired. It was a commentary on the crass commercialism of uh, our Christmas practices, and Charlie Brown is looking for the meaning of Christmas The climax of the narrative is when uh, Linus stands up and says, I'll tell you what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown, and he quotes from Luke chapter two. And uh, it's a beautiful quotation and a beautiful uh, moment. And our response to that uh, narrative should be, now what do we do, right? Because Linus is describing, Luke in chapter two is describing God becoming man, God became man. And then if we stop there, our question needs to be, so what? So what is my response? So what do I do? This is the same response that uh, the people had in Jerusalem when Peter preaches his sermon on Pentecost. The people respond, what shall we do? And of course, his response is, repent and be baptized. It would be a much different story with a much different narrative if uh, Linus stood up and Uh, gave these lines from John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is saying uh, this is who he is and what he is doing to us and through us, how it is that he is transforming us. And indeed, Isaiah is uh, doing the same thing. He is prefiguring for us the transformation that we undergo because God became man. Isaiah uses three different metaphors to talk about this uh, metamorphosis, this um, deification, this sanctification that we undergo through the power of the Holy Spirit. So uh, if you remember your English teacher saying, don't miss, mix your metaphors, uh, watch out, because Isaiah not only mixes them, but he sacks them one on top of the other. He has three metaphors that he uses for this sanctification, this deification, this transformation of the inner man. Uh, he uses in Isaiah chapter 61 the metaphor of the bride and the bridegroom. He uses the metaphor of the constant gardener in the garden, and he uses the metaphor of the king who is marching into war with his symbols of power and glory. So he adorns his bride. God is the bridegroom who decorates his bride. He clothes her in righteousness and in salvation. He is the constant gardener who is about the work of his garden, who is always looking over it and making sure that it produces good fruit. And that good fruit is, again, righteousness and salvation. He is a king who is going to war, who has the ornaments of his kingship. He has his crown and he has his diadem, uh, his uh, symbol of his kingship, and it is crowned with jewels. And these jewels are the people of God. This is a, a radical thing, a radical understanding of the people of God, that we are uh, God's ornaments, that we are his crown, that we are his, his jewels, that we are his, his beauty. And so the idea of us being a, a, a bride, we see many places of uh, Scripture, we see this metaphor used over and over again, and it's about um, the adorning uh, of the bride and her being made ready for the groom. Uh, the, the other two the garden and the jewels are um, a little bit more um, uh, notable here because they are inactive, right? The garden doesn't do anything, right? You don't go into a garden and see a tomato plant struggling, right, to produce tomatoes. The plant does what it does. It receives the water, it receives the nutrients, and it simply is what a tomato plant is. This is an interesting metaphor for us as Christians, that we are supposed to be as Christians are, that God has made us to bear um, this fruit and that he waters and protects us. And again, the jewel is not active. The jewel simply reflects the light that is shown upon it. And this is our relationship with God. He shines his light, his grace, his mercy upon us, and we reflect it back to the world. We reflect back to the world, the light of God, the glory of God, his brightness, his goodness. And uh, it is uh, this righteousness, this salvation that he uh, reflects back onto us. These two um, attributes are notable. He talks about righteousness and salvation. Righteousness and salvation are both words that describe something about God as being a warrior king. Uh, Righteousness and salvation are words for a warrior king. Righteousness, first off, is this straightness. It describes the standing straight of a soldier. It describes the straightness of his arrow, the straightness of his lance. Righteousness is also translated as justice, right, or a a truing, right? The truing of the spoke. It is being made aligned and straight. So when a soldier is standing straight at attention, when a soldier is marching straight, When he is clear about his marching orders, when he's clear about what he's supposed to do, he is acting in righteousness. And when his sword, when his lance, when his spear is straight and running true, he is acting in righteousness. That is, he has a clear understanding of what he's supposed to do and a clear response to his God and King, right? He is walking in righteousness and straightness according to the path that is set before him. That is our call to righteousness, that we have a clear understanding of what it is that we're doing who it is that we're doing it for, and that we're acting on the orders of our king, right? We are doing what he has told us to do. Salvation is about protection. Salvation is the image of the shield of the buckler. It um, protects us from those darts of the enemy. And so God um, provides protection. He provides uh, that, that covering for us. And so salvation is protecting us from the dangers of the world. Again, we're recognizing who is good, who is true, we're recognizing danger, we're, um, we're not naive, right? We're not foolish in thinking that there's no danger in the world, that there's not going to be any danger in our acting upon the commands of God, uh, but that we know that we are relying upon Him, that it's Him who is protecting us, that our salvation comes from the Lord, not from anywhere else, but that we are trusting in Him for all things. And so whether we are the gem or whether we are the bride or whether we are the fruit of the garden, we are acting and responding to the salvation and righteousness of God. And then in John's gospel, we see that this uh, transformation that we're undergoing is a radical uh, transformation, right? That it's a radical uh, transformation of who we are that happens because God has become man, right? We are very clear in John's gospel that this is God himself, That everything is made through him uh, that he is creator god and that he is creator god so that he can give life and light to men that is what he is doing he is changing us he is remaking us so that we have god's life and god's light. in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and so this light of god that we are reflecting back is an understanding that everything that we have is given to us by God, that we are, again, responding to his goodness. We're responding to what he has given us. In verse 12, he says, to all who did receive him and who believed in his name. This belief is not just mental assent, right? It's not just us saying, oh yeah, I know who Jesus is. The demons do that. It's not about saying that he is God incarnate. The demons know that. Believing in him means that we know who he is and we participate in his life. It means that we agree, right? Believing means I agree with the work of God. I agree with the work of righteousness. I agree with the work of salvation and I'm going to participate in that. So we believe in his name and when we do that, he gives us the right to become children of God. See, that is not a right that we have just out of our creation because we are creatures, Right? We're like all the rest of creation, but we become children of God. We become adopted by grace when we agree with the work of the Father, when we believe and we participate in his work of salvation, when we receive his light and life and we work according to his will. And that is the key. Right? He says um, that it's not about blood. So it's not about our ethnicity. It's not about who our parents are. Right? It's not about our people group that we belong to. There's not one people group of the people of God. There's not one ethnicity. We don't have to learn a certain language. We don't have to dress a certain way. We don't act a certain way, right? We become the children of God when we participate in his life and light. It's not about our will. It's not about a decision that we make about our life. Sometimes when we talk about evangelism or we talk about people accepting Christ, we say, oh, I've accepted him into my life, right? You've heard people say this. I'm asking Jesus to come into my life. But that's the exact opposite of what Scripture says. We're not, being invited, we're not inviting him into our life. He's inviting us into
1: his life.
0: He made the invitation. We're responding to it. And the life that's being lived is his life because he is life and truth. So we are entering into a new life, into a new plan with his goals, with his purpose, with his understanding, and all of that that we had about who we are and who we think we are and what we think that we're going to be doing is all dropped away, it's washed and and washed away from us, and we enter into his plans, into his will, the will of God the will of God, and this is a transformative effect by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own, right? This is receiving what God has, receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving his power, and it is he who transforms us, right? God became man so that man might become one with God. We receive grace and truth through Jesus Christ. This is the Christmas present that we have been given. He gives us his grace, He gives us his truth. It never wears out. It never gets old. It never gets dusty and put into the closet. We participate and live in it, and it transforms us heart, mind, body, and soul. We are transformed by his grace. And St. Paul describes for us this transformation in in a very radical way in Galatians, where he reminds us that we are Um, leaving behind all that we were, right? We're not Jew or Greek, right? We're not slave or female, or slave or free. We're not male or female, but we become one in Christ. This is a radical transformation. We become radically new people. Now, it's important to point out here that this is not um, the law that St. Paul is talking about here in Galatians is not the natural law where we know right from wrong. It's not the law of the commandments. This is the law of uh, purity. This is the law of circumcision, right? Because still the time of of his writing Galatians, maybe 20 years after Acts um, 15 and the the settlement at Jerusalem, they're still trying to separate themselves. The church was still separating. Jews would be um, worshiping and receiving Holy Communion from this table and Greeks from another table. Slaves um, and, and slave owners were separating themselves in the body of Christ. And St. Paul is saying, you're one. You're in Christ. All those old distinctions are gone. He's not talking about the law of righteousness here, as we see clearly in the story about Cornelius and St. Peter going to Cornelius the centurion. Do you remember Cornelius? Who is he? He is a God-fearer. He is following the commandments of God, right? He knows right from wrong. He's um, living a life of righteousness, he's fasting, he's giving to the uh, to the church, he's giving to the synagogue, right? He is a righteous man, and God recognizes his righteousness, and the angel comes to him and says, send for Peter. Do you remember this? And Peter should not have gone to Cornelius's house, right? Because Cornelius is a Roman centurion, he's unclean, he's not a Jew, right? And the other Jews are saying, why would you go into this man's house? It was forbidden for him to go into Cornelius's house, but he does because The Lord tells him to. So here is Peter, right, a a Jew who is living a life of cleansing, right, under the purity laws, and Cornelius, who's recognizing all the righteousness of God, but who has not made that final step of being circumcised and having a kosher household, and they come together, and Peter preaches, and what happens? The Holy Spirit comes, and Peter says, who's going to keep water from them, right? So they receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're transformed, they are baptized, right in that. And so they are full in the membership of the church, even though Cornelius hasn't been, what, circumcised and keeping a kosher life. He couldn't have done that as a centurion. He couldn't have lived that life. And so what St. Paul is saying here is that this faith, this transformation that happens when we listen to the word of God, when we acknowledge his will and we participate in it, We become like Abraham, right? He says we become children like Abraham, right? Abraham's offspring, right? what's notable about Abraham, the Lord tells him to go and he goes, right? Then we become the children of faith, the children of Abraham, because we are participating in the life and light of Christ. We're responding to that life. The best part of a Charlie Brown Christmas though is the music. Vince Giraldi trio, that whole music is to me, some of the best jazz of the 20th century. It's amazing, right? And we are supposed to respond to that music. We could talk about it. We could talk about what makes it great, but talking about music at some point is just silly, right? You have to play it and you have to listen to it And you have to move to it. We have to move. There was an African tribe that described the British as this. People who could listen to music and not dance. (laughs) (laughs) We are not those people. We listen to the music of God and we dance. We respond. We at the very least tap our feet. God's playing the music, it's his melody, it's his harmony, it's his rhythm, and when we respond, we become children of the Most High God. God became man so that man might become one with God. That is faith.